0: You're listening to the Corbett Report.
1: Welcome, friends. James Corbett here at CorbettReport.com. Fifth of December, 2018, here in Japan. And today we are joined on the line by our good friend Derek Bros of the Conscience Resistance uh, Network at the ConscienceResistance.com. Obviously, I'll put that link in the show notes for all of you out there. But I'm sure you already know about Derek and his work from our previous conversations, many of them on the Corporate Report. You can always check the Corporate Report archives for our previous conversations. Just type in Derek Bros. Derek, good to talk to you again today. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, happy to talk to you as always, James. All right. Well, uh, the first thing people are going to note is that you are not in Houston, as is uh, custom, but you are in Florida. Uh, What on earth is going on? Well, this is all about the subject of our conversation today, which is the Jeffrey Epstein case that is still ongoing in various capacities, but the latest, latest, latest breaking headlines for people who have been following this story is that the civil case that you were there to attend in person in Florida is not going ahead as planned because of a plea deal that was reached. Tell us about this latest happening today.
0: Sure, so I definitely want to try to dissect this because even just today, as I've been watching people's comments on the interviews I put out, the article I put out today, There's a lot of confusion. Um, So what we're dealing with today is, as you said, it's a civil trial. So this is not the specific federal thing that, you know, has been going on for more than a decade involving Jeffrey Epstein getting a non-prosecution agreement, the sweetheart deal. It's not explicitly related to that. It's more kind of a peripheral uh, lawsuit. So the lawyer, Bradley Edwards, who's been representing at least three of the women uh, that are victims of Jeffrey Epstein since 2008, he was sued by Jeffrey Epstein I think in 2009 initially him and another lawyer uh, Jeffrey Epstein basically just going after them in any way he could and saying that you know the whole thing was made up it was an effort to get as much money out of Epstein as they could and you know funnel that to their rich buddies and whatnot so one of the lawyers actually ended up going down over Ponzi scheme which I don't know if that was related to you know that's kind of Epstein's (laughs) retribution or whatnot but um Bradley Edwards himself, though he was not connected to any kind of financial mishaps. so Epstein was forced to drop that lawsuit and that you know that was the end of that. However, Bradley Edwards chose to counter sue him and, uh, and seek uh, uh, damages for defamation defamation of character. you know saying, hey, I'm a lawyer out there. you're basically accusing me of just being an ambulance chaser and just trying to make money off these victims, so I'm going to defend my good name. So that's been going on for nearly a decade as, as well. And today was the conclusion of that. So what was expected, what we were told going into this is that what well, we knew ahead of time, Jeffrey Epstein was not going to show because unlike you or I or any other average person out there who gets summoned to court, he doesn't have to appear. He can hang out in his private island and uh, just go about whatever he's doing. So we knew we weren't going to see Epstein, but there was the possibility of some of these women coming forward to speak uh, for the first time on record. Now, obviously, we know about these details because of the court records, the affidavits that exist. But none of the women have ever actually been put on the stand to talk about it uh, because Epstein settles out of court. So even though this case wasn't directly related to the, the charges that the women are the, the uh, damages from to the women. Uh, Bradley Edwards was expected to call them to support his case to say, "Hey, look, here's women who are, you know, backing up what I I've sued Epstein for—that he, you know, assaulted them, raped them, molested them—and just to try to use that to support his case that, you know, he obviously wasn't just making things up." That didn't even happen. As soon as I walked into the courtroom this morning, um, which I just want to kind of throw this out there, thank you so much to those who supported me in the last week just to make this happen. I've been following this. I wasn't planning on coming here. But as you know, James, people are just amazing when it comes to support. And they wanted me to be here, and I'm happy to be here. So thank you for that. Uh, but I got to the courtroom, and I mean, it was already over before it began. It's like, you know, I think that they made a deal late last night or super early this morning or something because they already had this fancy thing printed up and ready to go. You know, before the court even started, so it was already over and done. But uh, you know, boring courtroom stuff: the judge saying thank you to the journalists for handling these claims that uh, you know in a respectable manner. Uh, the two sides say what they have to say. And then courts adjourned. And we go outside to a press conference. And this was actually kind of interesting. Uh, they had the two attorney, the attorneys representing Bradley Edwards, who obviously he himself is an attorney. They had stacks, of stacks and stacks of boxes that all the boxes related to evidence on Jeffrey Epstein. And I'm not just talking about four or five boxes. Like they had four or five high, 10 to 12 across, maybe two rows deep. And all of it with Brad, you know, Jeffrey Epstein's name and just different file, case files. They had a big uh, kind of poster board placard that had pictures of all Epstein's cars, pictures of all Epstein's houses in his helicopter, and um, pictures of all his homes and things like that. So they really kind of did make a spectacle to, to bring people in. And then the lawyers basically just answered questions. And so what happened, the reason it was over before it began, is because Epstein settled out of court. Rather than letting this go forward, even though it's a civil trial, and he wasn't facing any time by any means, you know, this wasn't going to end up with Jeffrey Epstein in jail. So that's important for people to see. Like, I've already seen people say, oh, this lawyer sold out and, you know, he just cashed out instead of getting justice for the victims. Like, it's, there was not going to be any justice for the victims today. The best we could have hoped for is that they would maybe get on the stand and say some things that, but, but Bradley Edwards in the press conference made it clear that those who came here expecting to hear the new salacious details, that was not going to be a part of this. The judge had already made it clear that the women could testify that it wasn't going to be turned to, you, know, you know, bashing Epstein. So more than likely, this 10-day thing, if it did get dragged out, it would have ended up with the victims having to be on the stand and get interrogated and questioned by the state and whatnot. And these are high-priced, powerful lawyers. These are their army of superstar lawyers, as they put it, uh, that Epstein hires. And these names are all well-known, Dershowitz, Starr, all those kinds of people. So in the end, um, Bradley Edwards did take a confidential financial settlement for his particular damages uh, related to Epstein, and Epstein issued this apology, which if you don't mind, I'll read it to you, it's, it's not too long, because these are, I mean, Epstein doesn't appear in public anymore. He's, you know, from by all accounts, from everybody's investigating, everybody's records, he rarely goes to New York anymore, he's pretty much isolated himself on his private island now. So we're not going to get any public statements from Jeffrey Epstein probably beyond this, so I think it's, it, it's something. He says, while Mr. Edwards was representing clients against me, I filed a lawsuit against him in which I made allegations about him that the evidence conclusively proves were absolutely false. The truth was that his aggressive investigation and litigation style was highly effective and therefore troublesome for me. The lawsuit I filed was my unreasonable attempt to damage his business reputation and cause Mr. Edwards to stop pursuing cases against me. It did not work. Despite my efforts, he continued to do an excellent job for his clients and through his relentless pursuit held me responsible. I am now admitting that I was wrong and that the things I said to try to harm Mr. Edwards' reputation as a trial lawyer were false. I sincerely apologize for the false and hurtful allegations I made, and I hope somebody will forgive me for acknowledging my wrongdoing. Jeffrey Epstein. I mean, all of it kind of – it really made me a little disgusted earlier. Honestly, like I said, there's some you know, victory, maybe a small victory, a moment to celebrate here in the sense that, OK, Epstein admits some, some guilt. But overall, I just imagine this is like – this is like a little kid who's never been punished and never – seen the repercussions of his actions. And so he gets a little slap on the wrist. He has to come apologize to the class. You know what I mean? It's
1: just it's a lawyer apology for sure. Yeah. Yeah, Um, exactly. Yeah. And and so, again, I think it is important for people to understand this is relating to a civil case that was specifically about defamation of the the attorney. And so it wasn't about the legal issue of the actual crimes that were committed and that we know about. He is a a convicted sex offender. But of course, he did cop that incredible plea deal those many years ago, by someone who went on to become a very important part of a, the Trump administration, which is an important part of this story. And this yes. story is, is obviously much bigger than what this particular case was focusing on. And interestingly enough, at least from my perspective, this has all come back to the surface over the past month or so. Obviously, I've been covering this case in the past. You can go into the corporate Report archives or some of my previous conversations about it. I hadn't really heard much about Epstein until... You recently put together a very important, a really great, concise, and uh, informative documentary bringing down Jeffrey F. Epstein. Obviously, it will be linked in the show notes for this conversation for people who are interested. Please go and watch that. Uh, an excellent breakdown of this case that I saw come up. Uh, I don't know, was that about a month ago or or something along? Yeah, those November first. Yeah, so about a month ago, and then uh, and then. Just a week or so ago, we had an incredible expose from the Miami Herald of all places, actually doing some real investigative work on this and bringing the Jeffrey Epstein case back to light. Tell us what is happening. Why is this getting dredged up again and why is it all culminating now?
0: Sure, absolutely. And so I I wanna say two things. One, so we just talked about the civil trial, right? And what most people are familiar with is the original sweetheart deal that Epstein got, which uh, was a non-prosecution agreement and which Bradley Edwards and pretty much anybody with a brain has been saying this violates the Crime Victims Restoration Act which is essentially just uh, excuse me Crime Victims Rights Act which basically just says if there's a case like this any sort of abuse of a victim they must be consulted before the perpetrator gets made a deal so in this case ideally all of the women who were being represented by these lawyers should have been consulted and said, hey, we're considering giving them this deal. Do you have any input? What is your concerns? Instead, they were lied to the whole time and told that, like, hey, you know, we'll, we'll let you know when something's happening while they concocted this secret deal behind the scenes. And as you mentioned, uh, Alexander Acosta, Trump's current labor secretary, was one of, I mean, there's at least a dozen people that I've identified that should be tried for being involved in this deal from the U.S. state attorney, from the local judge, um, the sheriff's, office out here, apparently resisted until one of the other cops came in and told the FBI to get involved. Like, I mean, there's just so many layers to this of people who are trying to stifle the investigation to Epstein. So he got that sweetheart deal. The civil trial is now done. Now, for those who are hoping for some justice with Epstein, the best that we can hope for at this point is we're waiting to hear a federal judge who may or may not overturn his, his non-prosecution agreement and say that, you know what, it did violate the Crimes Victims' Rights Act. And in that case, it's not like Epstein will be immediately be rushed to prison. It would just open him up for new litigation, new lawsuits, and a potential trial, which more than likely he would still buy his way out of. Um, uh, it, but... The, the thing about that, though, is what Bradley Edwards told me today is that it would still require a state attorney to have some, some courage to actually say, hey, I'm going to take this guy on. Unfortunately, in Florida, where some of these things took place, the statute of limitations is over. But the the downside, and I guess in, in this instance, it might help the case against Epstein. He has victims, and this is what was not necessarily known by the wide public, is that he they found victims in California and New Mexico and New York. In uh, the Virgin Islands, uh, obviously in Florida, pretty much anywhere Epstein's ever lived, or ever spent time in, they found hundreds. So there's numbers that we've known is 40, maybe 60, maybe it's hundreds, hundreds of victims. That every and the cops said that when they interviewed one one girl, it would lead them to three or four more girls that had three or four more girls each. That they, you know, it, this this dude is is seriously addicted to young girls i mean i don't know how else to put it like he's got an addiction that's why they made him register the highest level offender because he will repeat and um he's a danger to society so that is kind of what's going on unless that judge says hey you know what we're going to go ahead and overturn this non-prosecution agreement if the judge decides you know what it looks great everything was done legit then that'll be the end and unless the new victims come forth one good thing is since my documentary since the herald investigation there's been all this new attention i mean i've been seeing just in the last two days, the numbers on my documentary start to spike, and you know you can see the search trends. Obviously, for a brief moment, Jeffrey Epstein was 20, trending on Twitter last week, uh, but that was quickly taken down. But uh, you know where we're at now is trying to raise awareness. And what Brad Edwards said today is he really wants to get people to focus on the victims now. Now that his BS with Epstein's done, he's like, let's bring it back to the victims—the women who are now in their late 20s, early 30s, and who knows, you know, what other victims are out there that um, have been suffering and. He did say that since this kind of movement is, is afoot now, that some of the women are actually feeling like a little bit more strong, maybe some of them are expressing some healing, and that others who had spoken to him privately but were afraid to actually come forward have now said, all right, I'm ready. Like, if there's a lawsuit, I'll step up. So, I mean, I can't see how this is a bad thing overall, but as it stands right now, you know, we're, we're just trying to raise awareness on it. My documentary, I think, is probably, if I can you know, brag for a moment, one of the most well-put-together documentaries that covers all angles the Trump stuff, the Clinton stuff, everything. And I've gotten hate from both sides for putting them in there, you know, but these are the facts, these are the affidavits. I make no claims of, you know, what what it is yet, but just basically calling for an investigation to bring Jeffrey Epstein down. And uh, it does feel good to see that that it's getting attention. The unfortunate thing, and I think you can expect this is, I mean, I was just kind of looking at the articles that came out today, and they're acting as if the stuff that you and I and other researchers have been saying for years, like they just found out about it. They're like, oh, and they're still calling him an alleged pedophile and saying he alleged, I mean, it's just, it's like, it's annoying. But like I said, overall, if it gets more attention and if that leads to something and hopefully, you know, it goes to the highest levels and not just takes down, I mean, who knows? They may be willing to sacrifice the different people Epstein's connected to. They might all be cutting their ties and saying, you know what, let him go down. It's going to save us. So we got to be skeptical, but I do think that this is a win so far.
1: Right. And this story is not just uh, important because it is a travesty of justice, what happened with regards to Epstein in particular, but obviously it points to the fact that this wasn't just Epstein in particular. There were a lot of people who were motivated to cover up for Epstein and what he did. And the question is, why? And of course, some of those. Questions are at least uh, presumably answered by the list of contacts uh, that he has and the, mm-hmm. the friends list that he has of, well, you name it. As you say, Clinton and Trump and many others, uh, very, very important, powerful individuals who Epstein has been associated with. So let's talk about his connections, the network, what this means in terms of the potential for a cover up of a very high profile. Uh, sorry, I should say high status uh, um, Pedophile ring is essentially what's being yeah. looked at here, um, involving even potentially Prince Andrew has been named.
0: Absolutely. So, you know, this is, I think when you kind of grow up in the conspiracy culture, let's say, you hear the stories of like pedophile rings and, and, and you know, powerful people being involved with this. And for those who even dip their toe into that rabbit hole, you've heard about the Franklin scandal, Jim, uh, scandal Jimmy Seville, you've heard these different kinds of stories, but I when I really decided to like all right let me not just kind of on the surface level know what's going down let me really dive it deep into this Epstein thing and see where it goes yeah I mean it's it's without a doubt that there's it's so pervasive the amount of people that not only Epstein is connected to it's it's too much to just dismiss well I guess he had a couple of friends you know his little black book what Bradley Edwards the attorney called the Holy Grail. it, you know, it, it had all sorts of powerful people, as you said, the royalty. Um, it had the Clintons and the Trumps. But the other thing that I think was kind of that I am just recently learning is uh, there was listed massages. You know, he had California and then it had different girls' names under massage. And then he had that, like, listed in dozens of cities. And obviously we know what his massages code for, right? And when you look at those different cities and you see the people he's connected to and who's associated with those, I've tried to start maybe mapping out this. it's like, of course, we can't necessarily say, okay, well, look, Kevin Spacey lived in this area and Trump, I mean, Epstein's got a bunch of victims in this area. But I do think that it's worth looking at once you start to understand his network, Hollywood, politicians, media, academia. The other thing that the uh, Epstein, cut, the whole story has shown is that by 2009, 2010, 2012, after he was found guilty of this and forced to register as a sex offender, he, he started trying to remake himself as a philanthropist and give to like all kinds of different organizations and become a donor and just I guess he this dude literally thinks he can just buy his way out of everything and that money will solve his problems but that has allowed him his connections to various people has allowed him to rub elbows with presidents with politicians etc and as I stated a moment ago I think they're all kind of just cutting him loose you know he's none of them have had public conversations uh, connection to him and years you know you don't see any more pictures of Prince Andrew walking through New York City with Jeffrey Epstein like that doesn't happen anymore he's I think he's been cut loose from whatever was going on but absolutely he couldn't have acted alone and this is kind of where we end our documentary it's basically saying like there's no way jeffrey epstein could have acted alone we for one we know that he had co-conspirators who also got off free in this uh non-prosecution agreement we know at least four different women and then there's also the modeling agency m2 which is owned by this guy jean Luc, who's also been accused of rape just as recently as this year by his models and that you know that goes back i found like a 48 hours special from like 1988 that i mean People have talked about this and have tried to point out this network, as, as we know, and it gets buried. And so honestly, I'm kind of surprised that it's even risen to this level. And I know there are people out there who think, and I'm just going to say this, that people who think this is QAnon, Trump coming to save the day type of the deal, like this is it, like, oh, the mass arrests are coming or something. It's, I don't think that's what this is. I don't see this, you know, it's just, it's gotten to that point where I don't think it can be ignored anymore. Like, I mean, this guy molested, raped, uh, you know, abused hundreds hundreds of girls. You know, it's not like he tried to just maybe do this discreetly and think he'd get away with it. I think he has a a sick problem and he can't stop. He literally can't stop. That's what all the girls described as like dozens and dozens of girls all day. And he was able to bring his powerful connected people over for these parties and over for these things. And there's also the girls say that he was secretly videotaping the parties on his island and at his house. And he was debriefing them to try to get information from them. You know, there are people who say that this is a honeypot. It does seem to be some kind of like honeypot, honey trap for gathering information. There's whispers of him being connected to the Mossad and this and that. I haven't been able to find any hard evidence of anything like that. But it does seem to be, whether acting on his own volition or as some part of some other network, that he definitely was well connected and was trying to entrap people and trying to gather blackmail on them to use for whatever reasons. that probably has protected him up to this point. And maybe some of these folks have just decided, like, hey, you know, let's, let's cut him out. He's too much of a risk or something. I, I can only speculate.
1: Well, on the question then of powerful networks and how they uh, help facilitate this type of activity, I know that you're starting to embark on a, or you are already in the final stages of a new documentary on the Finders cult. And this is something that I have heard about in the past, but I haven't done any personal research into. So I'm just watching it through your reports that you've put out so far. I know you're coming out with the documentary Tell us about the finders, what this is, how this connects to the Epstein story or or does not connect and and where this is going from here.
0: All right. So, yeah, um, I'm going to keep this as brief as I can and I definitely encourage everybody to check out the videos I put out so far. I put out, I've been putting kind of like a weekly, somebody had recommended to me because to be quite honest, you know, when you start going into this area of research, you do find yourself looking over your shoulder a little bit more often when you're dealing with people who you know are willing to buy people out. And when I researched the, the Epstein investigation, the lead investigator died of a brief illness in May. Nobody has explained what that brief illness was, but this guy literally talked out loud, said he'd been being followed by people while he was investigating Epstein, and then the butler who had the the holy grail he dies after going to prison of. Uh, I looked it up; it was you know some some random thing. So the I, I started looking over my shoulder a little bit but also just to be safe because I want to I want this information to get out there so I've definitely been kind of diving into this and you know we're talking about Epstein and these networks Epstein is just one rich guy he's surrounded by people for whatever reason money influence their own depravity are willing to help him go get these people right get these girls he apparently bought young girls from Eastern Europe Bought, tried to buy a girl from uh, down in South America and things like that well that involves networks of people. Epstein's not just hopping on a plane, going down to South America and buying a girl himself. Like He's got people who work for him. They you know, relay the message. So there, there are these networks that exist of human trafficking, sex trafficking. This is a known fact, right? But the, the kind of conspiracy is, are politicians and powerful people involved? And without a doubt, the Epstein case, I think, shows that. And the case of the Finder shows that. So in 1987, 31 years ago, Uh, February 8, 1987, there were two men got got arrested with six young kids who were described as covered in bug bites, scratches, hadn't ate. They didn't know what electricity was. They didn't know what a stapler was, totally just seemed disoriented. Um, And the men said they were taking the kids to some school for brilliant children down in Mexico. That was their cover story. And essentially what happened is these two men get arrested. They get pulled in. Now think about this, 1980s, late 80s. There's what people have described or called the moral or satanic panic going on in the, in the late 80s in the United States where everybody was suspecting daycare centers and all kinds of people, of satanic rings or pedophilia. And much of that was dismissed as just mass hysteria. Um, I'm not quite ready to completely dismiss all those claims as mass hysteria. Um, but the finders is kind of like in that, that era, right? So these men get arrested. The Tallahassee police start digging in, start investigating. They get contacted by the Washington Metro Police Department, who say, hey, we think this might be connected to a group called the Finders that we're investigating out here. You know, can you give us a reason to raid their warehouse? And they said, well, this guy's got caught with kids. And they said, OK, well, that gives us a reason. This may be child abuse. So they got warrants. The Metro Police Department, the U.S. Customs Service, because they thought it might be trafficking across international lines, got involved. And they raided a warehouse and apartment building in D.C. connected to the Finders. So that's going on while the Tallahassee police are down there investigating. And, you know, there's a lot of details here, but basically within a week, the story is dead. It goes from being National News, Washington Post, AP, New York Times, uh, children, you know, caught in a cold. They're saying maybe satanic activity, human trafficking, pedophilia, all these different claims. And it wasn't just speculation that these reporters were making it up. This information came from the police reports, specifically from a U.S. Customs Service agent named Raymond Martinez, who walked through, and he he was there for the raids, and and he describes in his reports everything he saw, including instructions on how to buy children from Hong Kong, um, instructions on how to impregnate the female members of the finders. Uh, these people in 1987 were already using what was called MCI mail, like for those who might know or remember that it's early kind of super early version of what we would consider email or texting. Uh, they had broadband internet at that point. When they raided their warehouse, there were maps of. You know, locations all around the world with numbers. There was high-tech equipment, and they really describe it as it looked like an intelligence operation of some sort. And there, Raymond Martinez said he was able to witness on the screen uh, instructions that were sent to the people at the warehouse, telling them about the, the day's arrest the previous day in Florida. Said, "Hey, our men have been arrested," and it specifically said it gave them instructions on how to move the children and how to avoid cops and and you know get out of the city without being uh, bothered and so as I said, this becomes big news, national headlines. But within six days, it disappears. All of a sudden, the Tallahassee police come back, say they didn't find anything, they made a mistake. The uh, metro police say, oh, nothing to see here, no satanic activity, no you know, trafficking claims. Uh, and it all just disappears within a week. And then within a month, uh, the, the behind the scenes, all the authorities shut down their investigations. By the summer, the kids are released, the guys are released, and that's it. Then in 1993, it pops back all of a sudden, U.S. News & World Report. AP and a couple others report that the Department of Justice is opening an investigation looking into the finder's cult based on some evidence that, that points to the fact that the CIA covered it up. And that, or that the CIA, because uh, Raymond Martinez, the U.S. Customs Report, the last thing he wrote in his report is that the CIA, this had become a CIA internal matter. No further action will be taken. No, you know, and so that was like, whoa, what the heck? And then it gets reported that the DOJ actually decides to start investigating. But again, they go back and interview all of the people who went on the raids, who went to the warehouses, they do all these different interviews. And by the end of it, again, they say, nothing to see here. It's, it's, we didn't find anything and it's closed and that's it. And it disappears. And you know, you, you can find a few videos here and there on YouTube, kind of talking about it. Um, I've never really paid much attention to his work, but you probably know the name. Uh, I think he's deceased now, former FBI agent Ted Gunderson. Apparently in the 80s, he was really, or in the 90s, he was talking a lot about this and was taking around the customs report and showing people, like, hey, this is what he wrote. But I truly do believe that I've probably done more research on this than anybody before. And I, and I say that with confidence because I've scoured the Internet for every reference to the finders, the members of the finders. Um, over the last 30 years, they have been docs. So we have a list of all the members of the finders, and you can find some of their names on sex offender registered sex offender list. I mean, some of these people are um, they have re- they kind of rebranded themselves and are living regular lives. But uh, when I started to dig in, it basically I realized that Raymond Martinez, the custom service, his report is key to this. He Is the one who describes everything that that can point to the sex trafficking rings, to connections to intelligence agencies and I don't know if the satanic kind of thing was just thrown on top as a distraction or sort of to poo-poo it because everybody was real dismissive of satanic claims at the time. I haven't seen anything to point to that more. What I've found is that the Finders was an intelligence operation and in some of these old articles that I've found the archives of, I mean there's literally a, a, I think it's a Washington Post article, where they just kind of throw in the sentence that some of the finders have been found in FBI counterintelligence files. Moving on, you know, they just kind of throw that sentence out there. There's no, like, deeper look into it. So I've been just digging into all these claims, and I actually, when I was doing my my speaking tour this uh, summer, I traveled through Florida, and I was able to contact an ex-member of the finders, not just any ex-member either, but somebody who was deeply involved for 25 years who was the right-hand man of Marion Petty, who was the founder of the finders, and I'm so excited to, like, release that um, research because this guy – he's connected to the CIA guru movement for those who know that the CIA tried to you know steer Timothy Leary and others in the 1960s the finders weren't involved in drugs they were more a different type of cult but Marion Petty this guy has all the same connections he was Air Force Master Sergeant he said he was a chauffeur for all these high intelligence people and then supposedly he left and never had any contact with them again although his wife worked for the CIA his son worked for Air America the CIA front company uh, plane company Uh, And he's surrounded by these connections, but up until his death, he he said that he had nothing to do with it. Uh, So I found an ex-member of the finders and I talked to him and confronted him directly, like asked. Obviously, I didn't expect him to say, you know, yeah, we were trafficking kids. But I at least asked him to his face and let him speak for himself. And I will let your audience know this first before it comes out in our documentary. It's going to be a two-part documentary because it's just there's so much to it. The first part is about 30 minutes or so, and it should be out within the next week or two. Um, And then the second part will be out towards the end of December early January. But I did reach out to Raymond Martinez, the customs agent, and I, I initially emailed him and he was kind of standoffish, as you can imagine, this guy for 30 years. Because what I realized when I looked into this, the reason the DOJ investigation popped up in 93 is because he never let it go. He kept mailing his report to, to congressmen. He kept calling for an investigation. And even though many of the reports are heavily redacted, it's clear that they're saying he was the one that was kind of pushing them, like, please investigate this. And it's clear that all of the other people that went on the warehouse raid with him basically said he was crazy and said, we didn't see anything he saw. I don't know what he's talking about. He was then demoted. His pay was docked. He was moved around. Like, I've looked at his record. And, um, you know, is that related directly to what he said about the finders? I don't know, because unfortunately, after a couple of emails, he said he, um, he just stopped uh, communicating with me. I sent him an Epstein documentary, actually, and based on what I've seen, what I've found about his writing, I think he's kind of a conservative guy, and he may be a Trump supporter, and I don't know if that just rubbed him the wrong way or something, but either way, he shut down, and the final thing I'll say about that, I did make an attempt to go meet him in person just last week, and uh, um, I was told to get the hell away and to leave him alone, but based on what he's already told me, he's made it clear that what he knows, and I'll quote him in this, give you guys a little snippet of what's going to be in the documentary. He said he has no, no faith that what he knows happened, that will, anybody will ever be held accountable for what he knows happened. So even though that's all he gave me, that to me is enough to say, like, this dude still stands by his report 30 years later. He's not saying, hey, man, I made it. I mean, and honestly, in order to accept the official story of events, you have to believe that Raymond Martinez imagined... Instructions on how to buy kids. Imagine naked pictures of kids. Imagine you know all these different things. And not only that, the Tallahassee uh, Department of Re- uh, Health and Rehabilitative Services. There's a report from their doctors saying that they had evidence that two of the children were sexually abused and sexually molested. But that just gets ignored, and the kids get released back to these parents. And 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 yeah, here we are, 31 years later, and most people. Or him. Yeah, that's uh, what, that's what they say, you know, because the thing is, the mothers weren't even with the kids; they were, you know, somewhere else doing journalism. Because officially the Finders, they say they're just a researcher. They're research groups. They just do freelance journalism internationally for different clients, but not governments. We don't work for governments, is what they say. Uh, and it, the, the whole story just reeks. And I'm really, really looking forward to exposing this because um, and it is kind of the Epstein thing is going to segue into Finders 1 and Finders 2. And we'll see where that goes. I might kind of leave this stuff alone for a little while. But I am very confident to say that what people will see in this documentary um, has not been seen anywhere else. Right. Derek, I,
1: I know that my audience will be aware of the importance of the, what I'm about to ask you because uh, they've seen my Requiem for the Suicided series. I want you to assure the audience, without going into details, that there is backups of all of this work, all these interviews, all of the documentary, everything you have that can and will be released in the event anything ever happens to you.
0: Absolutely. I have sent all of the files of documentation I have and the interview with uh, the Finder and pretty much everything I have to a number of friends who are nicely dispersed around the world. Good, okay.
1: And, um, and please, you know, uh, I, know, I know this might sound silly, but let's do it for the record. You are not suicidal. No, I, you do not have a health condition. There is nothing I wanna, that's coming up.
0: I'm glad that you're, you're bringing that because, I mean, like you said, it's like, okay, we got to say this. And we kind of, like I said, I'm, I'm like looking on my shoulder, but truthfully, truthfully, my, my partner and the people I've told have been pretty nervous and, like, you know, there have been a couple times I've come home and I've been concerned about what i found. Like, you know, just it, a window that looks like it might have been moved or things like that, right? So, so my paranoia, if it exists, I think is justified. But I will say this, and I've already said this to friends. I do have a history of suicide attempts at a younger age. I already know how easy it would look. It would be to make it look as if, well, you know, he ended up doing it after all those years. That, you know, But I am in no way suicidal. I love my life. I love the life that I live. I love doing this kind of research and trying to expose these people. So I have no desire to leave this planet uh, and, and anytime soon. So the information is dispersed. It's safe. If anything was to happen with me, every, the people know what to do with it and to get it out. The documentary is already out of my hands. It's in the hands of my awesome editor, Jeremy Martin, who's over in the U.K. working on it as we speak. Um, So it would be released one way or the other. He has everything I have. And, you know, if I got in a car crash tomorrow, the documentary would still come out. So
1: all right. Yeah, it is important to get that stuff on the record, because unfortunately, this happens when people are doing important work on important issues like this. So, uh,
0: yeah, someone said to me, someone brought up one of your uh, videos, actually, and said uh, it was the Requiem video. And they said, uh, you know. We don't want you to turn into Danny Castellar or something like that because and, and that's what I was thinking when I'm going to meet the source. Like those are their famous last words, like I'm going to meet a source, I'll be right back, kind of thing. I was like, Ugh. But I'm here and I'm I'm happy to report that we are going forth with this. We're gonna do what we can to expose everything, we're gonna do what we can to expose these networks. And I'm also looking for more information. If anybody out there has things that they would like to to send my way to um, to try to share. Um, I'm using a, a proton Mail now, which some of you might know it's more secure encrypted mail. My email's into the light at Proton Mail, and anybody can email me anything that they think might be relevant. And uh, yeah, I really hope you guys will stay tuned to our channels um, in the coming weeks and months.
1: Yes. Well, obviously, we'll be linking to all the, the articles and videos we talked about with regards to Epstein and the weekly series you've been doing on The Finders. We'll link to all that in the show notes and, of course, to com, so people can stay tuned for the latest updates and when the uh, documentary drops. Uh, how do people support you directly?
0: Sure. So... One thing I do want to note as well, is you can, of course, support me through Patreon. I have a Patreon account, patreon.com slash Derek Rose. And what I want to say about that is that money is going directly to pay my editor. Because, uh, James, I was really, oh, after, over the years, just been inspired by all the, the great documentary work you've done. And me and Jeremy, my current editor, we've done a few over the year. But I reached out to him. I was like, let's, let's focus on it. Let's just put out this good, hard-hitting content. I'll start paying you for it. So anybody who contributes to that, it's literally going to, to pay Jeremy for his time. And he's already taken a pay cut because he just he wants to do this work. So you can support that uh, through Patreon. Of course, you can follow the conscious Those of you who are hearing this, you might be hearing this down the line. As of January 2019, I will not be posting any new content on YouTube, Facebook, Google, Amazon, Instagram, Twitter. I'm not going to close them down. I'll leave them up for posterity so people can still find the content. But I truly am at the point where I, we're not going to get people, if people aren't willing to live principled and, and support platforms that, you know, support the things we do, then we're never going to, further, So I'm abandoning them by 2019. You can find me on Bitshoot. You can find me on Steam it, DTube. You can find me on MeWe. You can find me on Minds. Um, I also use the freedomcells.org website. I have a Telegram channel. I have a Remind text update. I mean, there's a million different ways to, to still get my content without being on Facebook. So please don't whine to me about how hard it is to sign up somewhere else
1: walk in the walk well that's what it's about and that's what our conversations usually come back to again i hope people will dig into our archives if they haven't seen our previous conversations but i think we're going to leave it there for today obviously there's uh, important stuff here and maybe we can have you on for a follow-up after the documentary drops but uh, for we'll leave it there for now Derek bros theconsciousresistance.com thank you so much for your time thank you james the Corbett
0: Report is brought to you by The Corbett Report Subscriber. A weekly newsletter featuring James Corbett's International Forecaster Editorial,
1: recommended reading and viewing, discounts on Corbett Report DVDs, and once a month, a subscriber-only video. Sign up today to start
0: receiving your copy at corbettreport.com support.